the first thing I want to ask you, what's the alternative? If you don't want your child to stand out or be noticed for using headphones or a fidget or maybe a different chair, how does it make you feel if your child was noticed for how wiggly they always are or if they are always getting called out by their teacher to sit still or for having meltdowns because the sound was too loud versus using headphones to help. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions podcast for parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, or maybe if it's your first time listening, then welcome, and I'm so glad you're here. So today... This week's episode is a nice compliment to last week's episode. So we talked last week about what kinds of preschool environments work best or don't work best for a child with sensory processing disorder or sensory processing differences. So if you do want to learn more about those details, make sure you head over to episode nine. You can go back in your podcast player or go to the otbutterfly.com slash nine. Today's episode is perfect for parents, but also if there are any OTs out there who support kids in classrooms and also any teachers out there trying to find some solutions to help your sensory students out, then this is a great one for you. One huge disclaimer, preface, I guess, for everyone listening. I realized that at the time of this recording, which is in October 2021, the school systems in the United States are dealing with huge impacts from the pandemic. There's teacher shortages, there's research source shortages, lots of stuff going on. So whatever, I don't know when you're listening to this in time, if you're from the future, I hope that we are out of this. (laughs) But if you're listening alongside this right now, this is probably still going on. So there's also changes in the way that classrooms are set up and there's regulations on what materials or items are allowed to be used in the classroom. So the following that I share with you in this episode are all suggestions I would have used in the past when I did work in schools, not in schools, sorry, with schools for my clients pre-pandemic. I also want to make it clear here that not all teachers or schools or classrooms have the ability to make all of these suggestions work. You can bring it to their attention, you could suggest it to your teachers, but some classrooms just don't have the capacity to allow for these modifications. And lastly, there are some suggestions I'll talk about that require a change on your part as the parent for drop-offs or pickup, which again, I understand is not always easy and many parents don't have that flexibility with work schedules or maybe there's other siblings and other things, but this is just me brain dumping as many solutions and accommodations as I can think of and you can just decide what you think would work or not work for your child or your family or the school. Okay. So we're going to start by talking about some sensory tools and sensory accommodations or strategies that might be helpful in the classroom. 
First, whenever I talk about what sensory tools a child should have access to in the classroom, parents tend to bring up a question then something along the lines of, well, I don't want my kid to stand out or I don't want my child to feel like they're the only one using headphones or that special chair. So I totally get this. I've heard this a lot. And now as a mom, I, I get it. I see where you're coming from. And I've heard this for years, but I have two things for you to think about in regards to this. So the first thing I want to ask you, what's the alternative? If you don't want your child to stand out or be noticed for using headphones or a fidget or maybe a different chair, how does it make you feel if your child was noticed for how wiggly they always are or if they are always getting called out by their teacher to sit still or for having meltdowns because the sound was too loud versus using headphones to help? So that's just my first question. Ask yourself that. The other thing is this brings up the bigger issue that where that we need more advocacy and we need to spread more awareness about sensory needs and different learning styles. I would love if more teachers could have more lessons on inclusivity with different abilities and learning and playing styles. For example, when the teacher introduces sensory tools to the classroom, they could have a quick lesson like these are called sensory tools. They help some students learn. They are not toys. Everyone needs something different to help their body feel calm and ready to learn. This helps some students feel that way. If you want to try it, you can. If it becomes a distraction and it doesn't help you learn or feel calm, then it's not the right tool for you. That's a super simple way to introduce it and something that I wish a lot of teachers would offer in the beginning of the school year, maybe ongoing as sensory tools become useful in the classroom. But it can really set the stage for the idea that these are tools for learning and for feeling calm and they're not toys and they're not just special things that one boy gets and not something weird that that kid gets. Everyone can use them if they need it. Okay, so with that in mind, so here are a few of the most common sensory accommodations in the classroom I've recommended in the past. So there are your general pretty common ones like use of noise canceling headphones. There is also a wiggle cushion, a weighted vest, weighted lap pad, a calm down jar, chewy necklace, or allowing a chewy snack. Those are like a common, like what I would put in a um, starter sensory toolkit box in a classroom. Um, But more than just giving that to the teacher or giving that to the parent, I bring along with it that instruction that one, that the teacher educates the class on what it's used for, and two, that the student get open access to those sensory tools. They should know where it's located in the classroom and have free liberty to be able to get up and get a tool that they need without having to ask permission or have to look for it because if you have a sensory sensitive child or anxious child like my daughter, she would either forget or be really shy to ask. So if you are sending your school, your child to school with these tools, make sure they're in their basket or their cubby at school or maybe even in their backpack but they know where it is so I went through those pretty fast because I feel like they're pretty common but if you don't know what any of those are quickly headphones are used obviously for when things are a little bit too loud but they still allow the child to hear conversations it just kind of mutes some of the louder sounds in the classroom 
Wiggle cushions are helpful for kids who have a hard time sitting um, during circle time if they're needing a little bit um, more movement. Now, circle time uh, in younger ages is in and of itself a challenge, and I wouldn't expect a young child to sit more than just a few minutes. But if you have an older child who's having a hard time sitting at his desk for a certain lesson or for circle time, um, wiggle cushions can help. Um, weighted vests and weighted lap pads can help provide a little bit more of that calming input. I wouldn't use them excessively or for long durations of time, but just for the times where they need to have a little bit more of a regulated body, um, it's helpful. Calm down jars are things that you might've heard that you can make your own on Pinterest. Um, a lot of places sell them as well, but they just really help for anxiety, for meltdowns, for emotional regulation. Those are great things to have. And then chewy necklace or allowing a chewy snack. So again, with COVID precautions, I know this is a little tricky, but if you have a child who likes to chew, they will chew on literally anything they can find. Even if you take away the things you think they're chewing on, they will chew on something else. They will chew on their fingers, their sleeves, their masks. They will chew. So the more things you can give them to chew, the better. And I have had a lot of luck with some teachers who I've spent the time educating about sensory needs. They will be understanding about a child who needs to step to the side and have a crunchy snack, not because they're hungry, but because they are really seeking that input and chewy necklaces didn't work for them. It really takes collaboration with your child's teacher to find something that works for everybody so that you're not fighting for this every day and that it's just kind of understood that your child needs these certain accommodations. So work with your teacher on this. Another suggestion for the classroom is having a calm down or sensory corner. Um, but here's, here's the added part to it. A lot of classrooms do have like a sensory corner or like they use their like book nook or um, like a reading area as kind of a like calm down quiet corner. But what I found is when my daughter went to preschool, they had one of these, but she, but sometimes another kid would go in that corner at the same time and she did not like that. So she needed a very quiet personal space area of the classroom that only allowed one person in at a time. So... The way that I've had some schools set this up is putting up like a pop-up tent with like one beanbag chair inside. Um, and there's like a sign outside that said like occupied or like open, right? So anybody can use this if they need some time to calm down or to like mute some of the sensory input from the environment. But if someone is in there, you cannot have another child go in there. So that one was really helpful for us. The other big suggestion that I often have are providing alternative seating options or preferential seating. So what does this look like? You could add a TheraBand, which is like a rubbery resistive band that you can tie around the bottom of chairs for sensory seekers. They can bounce their feet on it or, or um, just rest their feet on it when they're feeling wiggly. You could allow an under-responsive or a low-registration child to sit closer to the teacher to help with auditory and visual cues. You could ask the teacher if she would allow your child who has a hard time sitting at circle time, um, if she would allow your child to stand at the back of the circle. So they're not standing in front of kids, but they're able to kind of stand and rock back and forth if they would prefer to stand than sit to listen to circle time. You could also offer a cube chair, which is one of those, like you see them a lot in preschool classrooms. They're 
plastic and they're usually like a color like red or green or yellow and they have like kind of a high back support for your child but you might need to work with the teacher on asking if if they can provide a different chair that has more trunk support for your child meaning more back support for your child because what happens is I have a lot of clients who tend to lean during circle time or like lay on the ground or be really wiggly and it's not because of typical sensory seeking issues it's because they have low trunk or postural endurance and they're weaker and sitting crisscross applesauce on the rug for 15 or 20 minutes is hard for them so for these clients I've offered a chair that has higher back support that really gives them the support that they need to be able to sit still for a longer time so again this is if you know your child has low um sorry has weaker muscle strength in their trunk support um maybe your ot has mentioned this or if you just know all around that your child tends to have a little bit lower endurance then this might be a good option um the other thing you could do is more educating the teacher and advocating for your child that that quote whole body listening is not really inclusive to neurodivergent kids and that your child might be listening while fidgeting with their shoelaces so we hear this a lot and this has been something that we have been revising throughout the years that um eyes on the teacher hands in your lap crisscross applesauce quiet hands quiet feet quiet mouth quiet ears quiet eyes all of those things that you would picture a neurotypical child doing to listen to the teacher are not things that we can expect of neurodivergent kids. And I once had a client who would full on doodle or knit in his lap while listening to a full on story and could recount every single detail of the story and remember each question that his classmates asked. They are taking it in. They just might not be looking at the teacher. So if your teacher is expecting that kind of traditional whole body listening, then I would try to educate them and advocate for your child and say that this is not how my child learns best. My child learns best by fidgeting or by standing. And then another tip that I often give teachers or parents is to utilize those little transitions between activities. So from if you're transitioning from circle time back to the desk, instead of just walk to your desk, can the teacher ask all of the students to walk like a bear or stomp like a dinosaur or crab walk to the desk? This is great movement input for the entire class, but it will give your child some opportunity for movement and heavy work in little spurts throughout the day to hopefully curb some of their seeking behaviors if they are a sensory seeker. All right, now I want to talk about aside from sensory tools and strategies within the classroom settings, there are some other suggestions for parents or teachers or admin staff to include within the child's overall school routine and schedule based on their needs. So here's a few examples. One of them is if your school has uniform requirements, ask them if they can make an um, alternative option for your child because maybe the school polo or the skirt or the stockings they have to wear are really hard for your child. And then this is then impacting your child's learning or behavior in the classroom because they're so uncomfortable from having to wear the uniform. So work with the school on this. Maybe you could wear a red shirt even if it's not the red polo that's itchy for your child. And maybe they could brand the school's name on a regular t-shirt so your child can still look part of the school and part of the program another one is 
asking them to allow extra time to complete assignments or tests if your child has a learning disorder or sensory challenges that make completing the task in a certain amount of time difficult. So if like taking a test or doing a certain assignment in a busy classroom is going to be really hard for your sensory sensitive child, ask the teacher if your child can have the opportunity to bring it home or to work um, for a few minutes extra. Another common one is to ask the teacher to provide intermittent movement breaks. So can they offer a functional task like ask your child to deliver things to the office or pass, help them pass out school supplies? Find a way to build it into, find a way to build movement breaks into the, the day's schedule for your child so that they can get a little bit of the movement that they're seeking, but um, in a way that's still conducive to the classroom and overall functional. Um, the teacher could also maybe create special jobs or roles that integrate the child's sensory needs with the teacher. So for example, I've worked with teachers who had a child who was always the do- the special door holder, the doorman, or the caboose of the line. So they were always last in line, but it gave them a job um, rather than just saying you're last. But this allowed the child to be at the end of the line. So if they were wiggly, they had more space to wiggle and move and move more freely without bumping into peers versus maybe a sensory sensitive child who would prefer to be at the front of the line near the teacher because an adult is safer to them than being around a bunch of peers and holding the door open for all of your classmates is a really important job but it also provides a little bit more heavy work throughout the day you could also look at the placement of the cubby spot in the classroom Usually it's alphabetical, but if you have a child who's sensory sensitive, placing their cubby in the middle where they have to sneak in between kids and deal with close bodies and like bumping and everything can be really hard. So try placing the cubby at the very end of a section. So here's one of those tips I said might not work for everyone, but it's something that I mention anyway. See if, depending on the age of your child, usually this is easier if they're younger, See if the school and the teacher can be flexible with drop-off or pick-up routines, especially if you have a sensory-sensitive child or if you have an extreme seeker. So can you drop this child off a little later in the first few minutes of if the first few minutes of school are hectic and loud and chaotic for your sensory-sensitive child? Um, like maybe the first 15 minutes of school drop-off is like the Pledge of Allegiance and free choice and the classroom is just really busy and loud. It might be hard for your child at drop-off, which kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. Would it be a big deal if you drop them off after free play? Um, That's just something for you to consider. Maybe the next activity after free play is like quiet reading or art that drop off is easier. So maybe you could play around with this and see if there's an easier drop off time. For some extreme cases I have worked with in the past where my clients were extremely dysregulated at the end of the day, either extreme sensory seekers or sensory avoiders, parents and teachers just came to the conclusion to have the child picked up 15 minutes earlier when the last part of the day was just not super academic heavy and it made it easier for everybody involved. But that's something, again, you have to consider and weigh the pros and cons of and see if it's something you can do. For some of my clients that I did that, There were way more pros to pulling them out of school a little bit early than cons. The other thing you can ask the school to do is to give you, the parents, a heads up when possible if they have scheduled fire drills and when those will be happening. You can use this to either prepare the child with a social story a few days in advance or choose to not send your child to school that day or to pull them out early to miss it altogether. 
Again, for some extremely sensory sensitive children, a fire drill can completely set them off for the rest of the day or days after, and it can be super traumatic and something not having your child sit through. And you could still work with the school on providing your child the lessons and the walkthrough of what they should do in an event that the fire drill does go off. But to have them sit through a fire drill if you think it would completely send them into a panic attack is not beneficial. When you have assemblies, you could ask the teacher if they could allow your child to sit next to the door or somewhere a little quieter or offering them the option to skip assemblies altogether, which I have many clients who have done this. Again, in some extreme cases, it was easier for those clients to sit back in the classroom to be a teacher's aide or help in the office during an assembly versus deal with those loud PA systems, the music, the clapping, the talking, all of it. And then after that, they'd be expected to go back to the classroom and be regulated to learn for the rest of the day. It just didn't make sense. You could also ask the teachers to offer a visual checklist or a visual schedule that's on your child's desk or that they could even put in their pocket that they can see and help them understand what's coming next and how the day is flowing. This is really helpful for an anxious kid and sensory kids so that they can anticipate maybe louder parts or messier parts of the day or just really understand the different transitions and know when mom and dad are going to pick them up. Another tip is to try your best to eliminate idle wait times for sensory seekers. So for example, some teachers dismiss certain tables or t- or children at different times. Like they'll call your name and say, you can go line up at the door if you are wearing blue. Or if you are at the octopus table, you can go line up at the door. Based on the child's needs... If it's a sensory seeker, it would be best if the teacher could limit the amount of time that that seeker has to wait in line. So calling the child to line up at the end of the line rather than lining up first where they'd be expected to stand and wait for the rest of the class to be dismissed would be hard. And in the same vein, when children are sitting on the rug waiting for the rest of the children to join, if you have a sensory seeker who has a hard time sitting as it is, don't call them first to sit on the rug to then have to wait for all the other children to join, which would then extend their sitting and waiting time. And that's my last suggestion, but I have one huge public service announcement for anybody listening. If if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, do not take away recess or any other form of physical movement or sensory activity as a punishment. So if you're a parent, don't let your child's teacher do this. If you're a teacher, please, if you see other teachers doing this, or if you do this yourself, please reconsider or please advocate to other teachers that this is not acceptable. Too many schools are doing this. Oh, you didn't listen during story time, or you didn't finish your assignments, you need to sit in at recess and do it, or... You got in a fight with that student, so you both need to sit in and say I'm sorry and sit inside and miss recess. Like We should not be taking away recess. If anything, we need more time, which there's a lot of studies on that as it is, but that's a whole other story. I just can't stress this enough, and I hope that this message gets to at least one teacher that can change their mind. Kids need recess. They need recess. Do not take it away as a punishment at all. Okay. (laughs) I hope that was clear enough. There are a lot more ways to help your child succeed in a classroom, but these were just some of the common ones I often use when supporting my clients. So if you do want more direct guidance and specific tips on supporting your child's sensory needs in the classroom, I offer this in my one-on-one parent consultations, and you can find more information on that at theotbutterfly.com slash 
parent consult. I hope this information was helpful. Remember, it's more important to adapt and modify the tasks and environments to best fit our child's needs versus trying to change our child to meet the environment. All right. And one quick thank you and shout out to Dana for the sponsored coffee that you gave me today. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. I'm enjoying a, this is my second coffee of the day, which is very rare for me, but I'm splurging a little bit. So thanks for that, Dana. And I will see you all next week. Thanks for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.